Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Hack to Start, a podcast that focuses on amazing people who have an interesting story or perspective to share and their insights on how they got to the level of success they have today. Thanks for joining Tyler and I for another episode. This is episode 131, and today we'll be chatting with Terry Burns, an associate product manager at Twitter. After being bored with general classes when she first got into college, Terry applied for a student program with Google and discovered the world of startups and development. She started to teach herself how to code online before changing her major to computer science. Terry was also the president and is currently the chair for tech at NYU. Terry has since taken on new challenges like being a developer evangelist for Venmo, the co-host of the Forbes podcast while technically, and now an associate product manager at Twitter. Terry joins us to share her story, how she got into coding in tech startups, what it was like being part of tech at NYU, how she got into Twitter, and much more. So once again, we'd like to welcome you to the show. Feel free to tweet us at hack to start drop us an email at hey at hacktostart.com, or share your feedback right on iTunes with a review. Good or bad, we'd love to hear from you. So let's get started. Hey, Terry, thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. How are you guys doing? Yeah, we're doing great. We're really excited to have you on the show and to get to learn you know, more about you and what you've been up to. So maybe before we dive into it, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Like, where are you from and what did you study? Yeah, absolutely. So I currently live in San Francisco, but I'm originally from Long Beach, Southern California, SoCal girl. And I went to NYU. So I was in New York for the last four years where I studied computer science. That's really cool. So how did your passion for like tech and entrepreneurship come about? Interesting question. Um, kind of an odd story. I went into college having no idea really what I wanted to study. I spent my freshman year basically taking like liberal arts classes and feeling very confused and generally uninspired. And I just so happened to like by chance apply to this program at Google called Google Bold Immersion. Bold stands for Building Opportunity for Leadership and Development. And it was like it was like a week or a two week long program at Google um, for basically like underrepresented youth to like get a taste of what it would be like to work at a large tech company. And so I went there and I was like, oh, this seems pretty dope. Maybe I should learn how to code. Um, and so after that, I spent the rest of my summer like on Code Academy teaching myself how to code. And then in the fall, when I got back to school, I took my first computer science class. I was never like the most enthusiastic student. <laughs> but when um, I was in school, I was like, oh, I, I dislike this the least out of all my classes. So let me stick to this. And then also, it's actually kind of interesting because I, I listened to a podcast episode from Hack to Start with Kim Pham. And Kim was also at NYU at that time. Um, and she was super inspiring to me. So I ended up meeting Kim. And I thought that she was really dope. And she basically like helped me stay inspired to study computer science and also get like more involved in like the tech and entrepreneurship scene in New York. No, hey, that's cool. Such a such a small world. Such a small world, right? Yeah, you just picked up like learning how to code just like that, like just over a summer? Uh, no, I mean, like, I could barely build anything by the end of the summer. I like understood like what code looked like on a screen and could like identify a few things. But no, I was definitely not good at it. I still had a ton to learn. And I spent the you know remaining three years in college struggling my way through my computer science degree. So it was definitely like compelling and exciting. But I, you know, learning to code is like, an ever going process like you never can really stop learning how to code so yeah that was that was my start like how I got into it 
so you're currently the chair and the former president of tech at NYU. Can you tell us a bit more about this organization and why you got involved? Yeah, absolutely. So not to like make this podcast all about Kim, but she definitely uh, played a, a huge role in that. I think she was she was actually chair at the time when I joined tech at NYU. But it was basically the reason why I joined was because I had just started learning how to code. And I was like, I want to know a lot more about this industry, this environment, basically what it's all about. And so I ended up just kind of like Googling tech entrepreneurship sort of clubs available at my school. Um, and tech at NYU ended up popping up. And so uh, by the luck of the draw, I ended up managing to get on the executive board. And tech at NYU is incredible. You should definitely check them out. It's a student organization um, based at NYU, but is actually available to all students in New York City. And so what tech at NYU does is it hosts a series of events throughout the school year, all related to technology, design, and entrepreneurship. And basically what that means is if you're interested in technology or entrepreneurship because you're interested in the business side or you want to start a company or you're a software developer or you're a designer, um, no matter what your background is, there's a home for you at Tech at NYU. There's a place for you. There are lots of different events that range for people um, who have lots of different backgrounds and skill sets. And so uh, we always have events all of the time, um, again, open to all students in the city to basically like come and learn. And most importantly, I think to just like hang out and make new friends and like eat free pizza and have a good time it's all about the free pizza <laughs> always yes very important to college students 100 percent. so what are some of the biggest lessons you were able to gather from going through this experience i think that tech at nyu basically was my window into the technology industry in general tech at nyu is a pretty big organization and that we host a ton of events and we have a lot of um, attendees and coverage in general and so i think in a lot of ways tech at nyu kind of operated like a startup a mini startup for students who are primarily studying computer science and like have very stressful and busy schedules um but i think in terms of like learning how to like market and scale and be inclusive and um think a lot about strategy and how to implement that strategy in a way that reaches as many people as possible with in the context of technology and entrepreneurship are all lessons that I learned specifically from Tech at NYU. And um, even now, it's obviously a student organization. So the work I did with Tech at NYU is very different from the type of work that I do now. But so many of the lessons that I learned and the skill sets that you just pick up from like having to coordinate from people who are super senior designers or engineers who are going to come and talk or speak about something um, to planning what time the pizza is going to come or where you're going to host the event are just like people skills. And I think organization and company skills that are important to have. And so all of those things, I got a ton of hands on experience with, in addition to just like having a bunch of friends who are super smart, who know a lot about the tech industry and would talk about it casually. And so the lingo, the people, I actually remember, this is super random, but I remember my very first tech at NYU meeting, someone made a reference to Jack Dorsey. And I remember being like, who is that dude? Like, why do they keep talking about this guy, Jack? And now I work at Twitter where he's my boss. So it's kind of funny. But yeah, so so basically, like all the lessons um, in general, I think I owe a lot to like what I've learned up until this point in my life to tech at NYU. Sounds like such an amazing experience. So you're actually a fellow podcaster and a co-host of the Forbes podcast called Well Technically. So what motivated you to start the podcast? I kind of wish I had like a, a better answer to this question. Uh, it wasn't my idea at all. I was like approached by someone who works at Forbes. Forbes started earlier this year. Um, it's called Forbes Podcast, which is basically Forbes Podcasting Network. 
it's basically an experimentation. The seasons just ended actually, but I think it was a total of 12 different podcasts, all related to like very different things and topics. Um, the podcast that I had, I co-hosted with Sarah Kunst, um, who is a startup founder herself. And we talked a lot about, uh, you know, technology and, and the current state of the industry and interviewed really cool people for that. But um, yeah, I was I didn't think about doing it at all. It wasn't anything I had sort of strategized for. But someone asked if I'd be interested in it. And I was like, that seems pretty cool. So I just went for it. That's amazing. So how do you approach creating, running and growing a podcast? It was a little bit different for me because Sarah and I had the support of Forbes. And so like in terms of recording and like the sound engineering and even, you know, the logo and social media and all of that, Forbes 100% took care of it, um, which was like very glamorous and nice um, and made our jobs relatively easy. But in terms of like approaching how to create the actual content, I think, you know, it's it's somewhat of a challenge. Like in, in Sarah and I's case, we had never worked together before. And so we definitely had to spend time having conversations with one another about not just what we think would be interesting to us, but what we think would be interesting to other people and how we can sort of target a podcast to an audience that could relate and be super interested, but also um, how we could target an audience that would sort of expand what we would expect. And I think part of that is just like, having lots of conversations, getting lots of feedback, being really open to um, interviewing different people and going outside of your comfort zone a little bit. And so sort of strategizing how to like go about the podcast is definitely a really interesting uh, like space to navigate that I'd never navigated before. Yeah, no, that's really cool. Do you record uh, your podcast like together or is it through uh, like an online experience like Skype, like what we're doing right now? It's like through this online portal. I don't remember what the name of it is. It's this like sound recording tool and it would be, so I was in New York when we first started recording and Sarah was based in San Francisco. So we were on opposite coasts. So we would have to coordinate those times and then we would always have a sound engineer on the line as well. And he would help us do like mic checks or if there was noise in the background and we needed to record something, he was basically like the overseer there. Um, and I think that he was based in like, I don't know, I want to say like, Texas or something like that. So we were all in like completely different um, spots. So it was interesting, like having to coordinate all of that. That's a really cool approach to recording podcasts. So you were also previously a developer evangelist at Venmo. Can you tell us a bit more about that company? And what was it like being a part of the team there? Yeah, uh, Venmo is a really, really awesome company to work at. I personally like use Venmo all the time. I think that it's an incredibly useful product. And so I've always been very interested in consumer facing products and like consumer facing products that I like to use specifically. So uh, yeah, Venmo was awesome. Uh, owned by PayPal and Braintree. So overall part of like a much larger ecosystem. But at the time I was at Venmo, I think we were just around 100 employees, um, which I think is like a really, really great number because it's still very small, feels kind of like family-like, but big enough where you can regularly kind of meet and get to know new people. Uh, so it was a really awesome experience. In terms of like being a developer evangelist, that was actually super exciting uh, and really fun and something that I had never done before. And basically uh, what a, a developer evangelist does is 
basically splits time between actually like building and developing and then also sort of like doing marketing and outreach, but specifically towards developer communities. So for me specifically, my time was split 50-50 between uh, programming. I was on the web team. And so I had certain web projects that I had to work on and uh, would go to the daily standups for the web team and get to like build and work on projects, like very hands-on coding every day. That was awesome. But then the other half of the time, Cassidy, who was my mentor at the time, Cassidy and I would basically spend our time traveling to hackathons, speaking at meetups, talking about the Venmo API, and encouraging other developers to build on top of Venmo software. And that was really awesome because it's just cool to travel. And I don't know, Cassie and I both like, we're, we're very good friends. We love meeting people, pretty extroverted, like having, you know, conversations and, and being able to travel around. So going to the hackathons was super cool because you would be able to see people just like build the most awesome random things. So yeah, that was a really fun way to sort of spend my summer. And uh, it required me to use very different skill sets at the same time. So that was something that I really appreciated. So today you're an associate product manager at Twitter. So how did you create, uh, you know, the opportunity to be part of the team at Twitter? People often ask me that question. So I tweet like a lot. And so people are like, oh, did you like meet some tweeting quota that like let you be eligible? I don't know, whatever. No. So I, as I mentioned before, I really do love working on consumer facing products and products that um, I know and love. And so Twitter is definitely like the number one app that I use in general, let alone like social media app or whatever the case may be. Um, I very much knew that I wanted to go into product management after I graduated. I studied computer science, and I definitely knew that I wanted to do something technical, not necessarily software engineering, but I wanted to be hands-on building products and things that I loved and cared about. So I, I just applied. Like I saw the application online. I applied. I managed to get through the interview process, and here I am. It's really cool. So what were some of the what are some of the projects that you know you've had a chance to, you know, be a part of or contribute to so far? So I can't I can't get into too much detail. But I am also still like relatively new. I I literally just hit my three month mark, so it's still pretty early. Especially because, particularly at large companies, I think um, it's normal to like spend a good chunk of time at the very beginning onboarding and like introducing yourself to people and taking like you know classes and all of that good stuff uh, for for new hires. But um, I can't say this. So I'm on the timelines team. Um, and that's the team that works on the actual feed that you see when you open the app. And we've been working on some cool stuff that'll ship uh, in 2017 and beyond. And basically what my team is kind of doing right now, we've been thinking a lot about how people consume content on the internet, specifically on Twitter, but how this sort of relates to the type of user you are, how new users find new content, thinking about how people sort of find the good stuff on Twitter and other ways that people sort of consume stuff. And then thinking about all of this and, and doing research around all of these questions and working on um, working on different projects that kind of plays around with and optimizes the way that people consume content in the timeline. So it, I don't know, it's like super interesting being on the product side of things, because I think as a user, you can sort of easily identify things that like frustrate you personally. Like I definitely came into Twitter with like a list of all of the things that I wanted to fix which was probably super obnoxious. But um, I think that it was definitely a good way for me to sort of like learn and have this exercise of like finding problems is like the easy part of product development and sort of like optimizing for the best solutions possible is the more challenging part. And so learning even how to sort of like navigate that system within how Twitter sort of like runs and operates is something that's been super interesting. It's actually like kind of cool. My manager 
has this like quote that he loves, which I think Henry Ford may or may not have said, but it's if I had asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. Henry Ford, who created like the Ford model car. And I think that's a really interesting way to think about products. Like users will often come to you saying that these are their points of frustration. These are the things that are wrong and like immediately have some ideas on how they might want to fix that. But I think that uh, being a really good sort of product manager and someone who's really great at product development is able to like think a couple steps ahead. Yeah, absolutely. It's a really good point to make. So jumping back uh, just a bit, actually, I just wanted to ask you, like, what was the interview process like for you in getting into Twitter? So our interview process, I think, paralleled very similarly, I think, to um, like what software engineering roles are right are like, but specifically related to products. So I had two initial phone screens, or they were Skype interviews, actually. Um, and those are product related interviews. I don't know. Are you guys familiar with product interviews at all? Uh, just a little. I mean, I've been I've been doing kind of product in different startups, but I mean, I think it's it's a bit different everywhere. I've never applied to a big company like Twitter, so <laughs> I don't yeah, know. Yeah, totally. So maybe I've I don't the... actually. I should have said no. I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> I've gone through Google's product design interview process, and yeah, I'm aware of like how complex some of the interview processes can be. Yeah, definitely. So it's pretty much like that. I also went through um, like Google's sort of product interview process as well. And I think that they were pretty similar. So product interviews are very like, how do you describe them? Um, the questions are meant to help the interviewer figure out how it is you think about solving various types of problems, um, which sounds very intimidating and I think actually is very intimidating. But there's lots of like estimation questions, some business related questions, some technical questions. It's kind of like a smorgasbord of all of these different types of ways of thinking, particularly about products. So yeah, I, I started off with two phone interviews with that. They, those are back to back or Skype interviews, sorry. And then after that, I had on-sites and then on days that large companies are like pretty much all day back to back. And so I can't remember the number of interviews that I had. I think it was like six ish or so of which like five were product interviews. And then I had one technical interview with an engineering manager. And then there's also like lunchtime where we're able to like talk to and have conversations with product managers. And I'm, I was able to like ask them questions and learn more about what it's like to be a PM at Twitter specifically. So yeah, it was a pretty intense process, but I think particularly for big companies, pretty standard. Cool. So how do you prepare yourself or how have you been, you know, like learning about becoming a PM? Yeah, I mean, there's a ton of resources online, honestly. I think that, like, in general, the interview process for tech companies is a little broken, um, more so for, like, technical interviews for, like, software engineering. I think that, like, you know, I, I don't have the solutions here, but I do think that there's a lot of problems with um, whether it's live coding or whiteboarding or, you know, asking data structures or algorithm question, questions. I think that to a certain degree, some of that stuff is important, but a lot of times it's not really indicative of what people are capable of. That being said, it's kind of like taking the SATs, like there's total, total strategy involved and there's a ton of resources, like people love cracking the coding interview, there's also cracking the PM interview. So for me personally, um, I think I read a little bit of cracking the coding interview to help me with the more like uh, technical oriented parts of product interviewing, but I also just Googled a lot of product questions. Um, I'm fortunate that a lot of my friends are also interested in product management, so we would have a lot of conversations about the types of things we were studying, good questions that we come across we kind of interview each other but at the time I guess it was like a little over a year ago 
from this point, I, I was spending a lot of time just like practicing and practicing and practicing. And so I learned how to be, I think, pretty good at, at product interviews. But obviously, like learning how to be really good at product on the job is a little bit different. And so that's been like a whole nother challenge in and of itself. Yeah, for sure. So you've, you know, you've participated and, and kind of continuously continue to participate and mentor and support all kinds of different hackathons and organizations like Chicks Can Code or Code Camp and that kind of stuff. So what's it like being part of so many different communities and how do you approach, you know, helping to build them and, and make them better? To the first part of your question, what's it like being part of these communities? Totally awesome. I kind of said this before, but I love meeting people. I, I really love being part of like great organizations, particularly when I was a student and, and learning how to code. I, I think these days I'm a little bit more like heads down with my job and trying to basically be really good at that. But when I was a student, I, I just like wanted to learn everything. I wanted to be a better programmer. I wanted to learn more about the tech industry. I wanted to have a better sense of like how I could make my mark and use technology to really enhance people's lives. And a lot of organizations sort of align themselves in different ways in this industry. And that's something that I've always been very curious about. And so being part of these communities, um, whether it was Chicks Can Code or like Code Academy or Code Camp, all of these things have code in the name. Like people need to come up with like some more creative names. But anyway, I was really able to, I think, find a sense of community and make a ton of friends. And I think it's really awesome to be able to just like hang out with people and learn at the same time. And so being part of these communities, so many of my friends I found from like all of these places and I love them to death and it's great. So very awesome. And then in terms of how do I approach helping to build them and make them better? I think it kind of depends. I mean, with Tech at NYU, for example, I uh, was president a year ago. And so, so much of my time was consumed by strategizing and thinking about how to improve Tech at NYU and thinking about how to make Tech at NYU more accessible to people, but also like optimizing for the experience of the current board members and making sure that they were having the best time, you know, the best time ever. Um, in terms of like some of the other communities that I'm less involved with or like don't necessarily have a leadership role in, I definitely, you know, try and help out when needed. I think one of the advantages to being super involved and like uh, having lots of experiences with lots of different organizations, you're able to see very clearly when things are done well and also when things aren't done so well. And so even if I personally wasn't in charge, it's it's really easy to be like, hey, by the way, I noticed this one thing done a certain way. Maybe this will be helpful to you. So I definitely... Um, I don't think I'm as strategic about things, particularly when I'm like not, you know, in a leadership position. I don't necessarily want to like step on anyone's toes or anything. Uh, but when I see opportunities for improvement or growth, like I definitely think it's important to kind of call those out. You know, for sure. So shifting uh, the conversation a little bit, what are some of the most recent apps that you've downloaded or used lately? So I, I actually hate it when people ask me this question because I work in tech. So people ask me all the time. They're like, what's the hottest new thing? And I'm like, I literally have no idea. I'm very like, I don't know. I, I never download or buy things unless it's like been out for a while and I'm able to assess what the market thinks of it first. So I don't know. I, I'm like looking at my phone right now. I recently downloaded Signal, which is like the messaging app that's supposed to be more secure. Supposedly, it's like encrypted end to end just because I was curious and wanted to check it out. But I think the last app that I downloaded before then was like either Slack or, or Snapchat, which like makes me seem like, I don't know, such a millennial and like not super exciting. But I do snap quite a bit. I think it's a fantastic product. I think 
I don't know. There's, there, I have lots of thoughts about that company, but I think in general, they're so good at product that there's a lot of things that I can learn from, from Snapchat. But yeah, I haven't, I haven't played with uh, Instagram stories or the messenger stories kind of interface because I'm a little bit too stuck in my old Snapchat ways. <laughs> so do you have any recommendations on just some great content that you've come across lately, either like a book, video or a blog post? Yeah, two books. Um, these both are like kind of old, quote unquote, as in like, I think they've passed their like peak moment, but still really excellent books. Bad Feminist uh, by Roxane Gay. Super, super great read. I also really loved uh, When Breath Becomes Air. I read that very recently and I thought that was just like a great book to make you reflect and think about life and your impact in the world and that kind of good stuff. And then also, I, I swear this isn't a plug, but I was also thinking about this earlier today. So anytime I come across an article that I like on the internet, I archive it on my website. So on my website, I have like a cute little like quote interface where you can click through and see random quotes from things that I love. But it's a collection that I'm very proud of because it like I've had it for a couple of years now and I don't have like a ton of articles listed in it. So it has to be like, like very top quality, in my opinion, to make it onto that list. But yeah, there's like a bunch of random things that I've kind of read over the years that I like to keep in my archive. So whenever I'm, you know, in the mood, I can just kind of like click through and and check out some of the stuff that I've read over the years that I've liked on the internet. That's cool. We'll definitely, uh, we, we love plugs, so we'll definitely link to it so other people can check it out and kind of cruise through uh, some of the top things. <laughs> nice, nice. So do you have any like last thoughts or personal models that you live by and you think other people should know about? I was thinking about this also earlier today. I would say that a motto that I guess I kind of live by, um, and this is super cliche, but I guess all life mottos kind of are, but um, this too shall pass. I think about this a lot, particularly in the current political climate and journalism climate. And I work at Twitter where there's like lots of stuff happening on our platform all the time. And I also on the flip side, have have lived a really wonderful life and have great friends and family and all of that stuff. So at the highest of the highs and at the lowest of the lows, I think it's important for me to kind of remember that life is always changing. And like, no matter what state I'm in at any given time, that state will change, Um, which is like, for me, a really kind of scary, but at the same time, ironically, kind of calming way to think about life, Uh, particularly when, you know, I'm having like my low moments, or like, it's, 6am and my alarm just went off and I'm like, is it going to feel this dreadful getting out of bed always? It's like, oh, this moment shall pass. So yeah, I think that's, that's one of the life mottos that I live by. And I, and I think about a lot. Awesome. That's a, a great way to look at it, especially the, the 6am thing. <laughs> the yeah, it's I'm, like, I'm going to have to try to remember that tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, it's a struggle always. <laughs> Absolutely. Terry, thanks so much for taking the time to uh, be on the show today and to chat with us and, and share your awesome uh, story. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Well, that's another episode of Hack to Start. Thanks for listening, and we hope to have you join us again soon. Remember to check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and on the web at hacktostart.com. We honestly couldn't do it without your awesome support, so please leave us a review on iTunes. Until next week, and we hope you enjoy the show.